Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number 1. We're going to begin in verse number 19. And what a great service. Wow. Thank you, choir. Thank you, all the special musicians. A special joy for me to be traveling with my friend, Wes, from our church and his wife, Noel. Uh, they uh, came to our church a few years back, and, and of course, we're, we're there in Florida, and uh, we became long and fast friends because we share the joys of fishing together, and uh, we were incredibly disappointed coming to Tucson. Uh, everything's been great. I mean, you guys have fed us so much food, I just can't hardly stand this morning. We, have, uh, we, we went and took pictures with cacti and uh, found ones without the prickly things so we could hug them and, and all this kind of stuff. We've had a great time. I mean, I, I love the weather. I love how warm it is, but there's one incredibly disappointing thing. I was at Dick's Sporting Goods the other day, and there was not one fishing pole in the store. And I, well, it's kind of hard to have fish when you don't have water. You know, the two things kind of go together. So uh, I'm excited to be back in Florida where there are fish. So but it is good to be here. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. Now you probably didn't use the word what, W-O-T, today. It means what I shall choose, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I want to do. Think about this. Just let this sink in. If I live, it's going to be for Christ. If I die, it's going to be gain. And here I am stuck. Stuck between two. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about whether you should order you know, chicken nuggets or a sandwich at Chick-fil-A. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the wrestling with that decision. I'm talking about something far more significant. Think about this. Here's a man that says, if I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it's gain. And as I think about this, I'm just not sure... Which one I'd rather do? Verse 23, I'm in a strait, I'm pressed between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Somebody please say amen right there. Being with Christ is far better than it is to be here under any circumstances. Your worst day in heaven is going to be better than your best day on earth. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh or to remain alive is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue 
with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Amen. This is God's word. I want to label the message this morning from verse number 25, remain and continue. Remain and continue. Can we pray together, please? Lord, we love you. We're grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. I pray for your special touch and anointing upon the word as it has been read and now as it has been ta- will be taught. Thank you for this wonderful, uh, exciting service. Thank you for Tucson Baptist Church. Thank you for working in this place for 64 years and then beginning a few years back, bringing this place back to its original mission, resurrecting it in great power. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 29 years is a long time to live alone in an otherwise uninhabited island. Yet that's exactly what Masafumi Nagasaki did. 29 years alone. On an island just off the shore of Japan, he chose this. Late in his 50s, he decided he did not want to live around people. And so he hopped on a little John boat and John boated out to this remote island. And for 29 years, he stayed there by himself, unclothed. He just kind of spent his time there, enjoying the beautiful sun, enjoying uh, nature, enjoying the vegetation of the island. Once a week, he would boat one hour from where he was, taking the small amount of money that was deposited to him from family members, and would boat over to the nearest inhabited Uh, island and would purchase food for the week and there he sat alone for 29 years 1989 to 2018 in 2018 somebody somehow got word of his uh, impending declining health and police literally forced him off of the island where he was compelled to go back to a city in Japan and live among inhabited people once again, for which he hated. He could not believe how disgusting people were and how much litter had come into the city. And uh, yet, because of his health and because of certain circumstances, they forced him to be back here, and now he's nearing 90 years old. Think about this. Here's a man who wanted to stay where he was but was compelled to leave by someone else. In our passage, we find Paul, the great, mighty, fearless apostle, testifying of something incredibly different. Here, the apostle Paul wanted to leave, but he was compelled to stay. Paul's text uh, here is not talking about his desire to live away from people in a remote island. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. He wanted to be with Christ, and who wouldn't? He wanted to be there. He wanted to live with Christ. He wanted to be in heaven, and yet what compelled him to stay was that other people benefited and were blessed by his ministry. The truth is, folks, if you put a megaphone up to this passage of Scripture, you're going to hear the soul of the Apostle Paul screaming out the mission of what it actually is to be a Christian. I got to tell you, folks, 
What we see in the 21st century, particularly in the United States of America, is but a far shadow of what genuine and authentic Christianity looked like in the New Testament. Here is a man that said, my real heart is Jesus Christ. Somebody help me up here. That's really what it's all about, is it not? Isn't living Christ Isn't Christ all we have? Isn't Christ all we need? Isn't Christ all we want? Isn't Christ all that we should pursue and everything that defines who we are? And yet, while dying would be gain, while going to heaven would be far greater than anything you and I could ever experience on this earth, Paul says, I understand that likely through these circumstances I am going to stay with you and I'm okay with that because if I go to heaven, I'm going to be with Christ. But if I stay here, I'm going to be with you. You see, life was about Christ and life was about others. And I would say to you that pretty much summarizes the Christian life. In verse 25, based upon what he said in these texts, he says, I know because of this, I am going to remain and continue for you all. Can I say, those are good words to the church today. Every church should remain and continue in the work that God has called them to do. Every pastor should remain and continue in the proclamation of the gospel. Every husband and wife should remain and continue in the relationship that God entrusted to you. Every one of us should remain and continue in the life that God has called us to do. Bottom line is this. Paul is saying, stay where you are and do what you do. And church, I'm telling you, after 64 years, that's exactly what I'd like to challenge you about today. Stay where you are and keep doing what you're doing. And we find in our text four compelling reasons why the Apostle Paul tells us that he desired to remain and continue. Would you follow along with me? Number one, as we see this, I should remain and continue because my rest is yet to come. My rest is yet to come. Now, verse number 19, if you look again at verse number 19, it says here, uh, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Obviously, when you see something like that in a verse, you're probably wondering, what is he talking about here? What What is the this he's talking about? Well, verses 12 through 18 are the real introduction of the book. In verses 1 through 11, Paul greets the church, and then Paul prays for the church. But really, in verse number 12, he gets down to business as to why he's writing this letter in the first place. Now, Paul wrote the book of Philippians for two primary reasons. Number one, he wrote it to thank them for the offering that they gave to him on his missionary endeavor. Number two, he was giving them an update of his circumstances. You see, Paul was in prison. Philippians is one of four New Testament books called the prison epistles, meaning he wrote them from prison. And the church at Philippi was rightly concerned about Paul's condition. I mean, prisons in that day are not like prisons in our day. You don't go to prison in that day and get educated and get a weight room and get three square meals a day. I mean, in this day, prison was near-death experience. Paul did not die during this imprisonment. He would die during his second imprisonment. And yet, Paul says to them, hey, don't worry about me. What's happening here is because I am in jail 
more people have been saved since I've been in jail than if I were not come to jail because I've been able to preach the gospel to those that I was near in prison. What an attitude. And after that, Paul says, look, I know you guys are praying for me. I know that you care for me, and I know that the Spirit is ministering to me. And he says this, because of that, I believe this is going to turn into my deliverance. The word salvation there is the word deliverance. It's not talking about his soul's salvation. How many of you know Paul was already saved? Amen. What he's saying is, my deliverance, I believe I'm going to be released from prison to continue on serving you. And that's authenticated all throughout this passage. Paul knew that the deliverance wasn't going to be death. He knew the deliverance was going to be back to the ministry. But watch this. As Paul makes this statement, he also makes some very rugged and bold statements. Statements of confidence. Statements of assurance. Hey, watch it. Statements that I hope you can make today like this. Christ will be magnified in my death. Or how about this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is not loss, gain. And then he says in verse number 23, he says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ which is far better, which compels me to believe a couple of things this morning. Number one, it compels me to believe that there is something that happens after a person dies. Friend, when you die, that's not the end. When you die, it's not like you're just buried in the ground and there's nothing that happens after that. Listen very carefully. There is something that happens to people after they die. There is a heaven and there is a hell. The Bible says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was also a beggar named Lazarus which laid at his gate full of sores desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried off by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments. Two men, two lives, two deaths. To eternities. Friend, I'm here to tell you today, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, it is not death to die. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, your life is not over. You're just going to transfer addresses from this home to your eternal home. Somebody listen to me this morning. What I'm telling you this morning is that if you're a Christian and you know Christ as Lord and Savior, they may sing sad songs at your funeral, but you'll be everywhere in eternity except for at your own funeral because this life will be over and it is a doorway to the one that is to come made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, if you're a Christian here, there's a whole lot to look forward to. It's far better. And by the way, if you're not longing for heaven this morning, I imagine your head's in the sand. When crazy people shoot up elementary schools, I want to go home. When cancer takes people that I love, I want to go home. When children are abandoned, when people are abusive, when governments get taken over by people that hate God, come on, I want to go home. There's nothing here for me, child of God. Listen, don't drop a single anchor here. We're almost home.
through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have gone on before us? No stopping now. We're almost home. That promised land is calling. We're almost home. Uh, not a tear shall fall there. We're almost home. Make ready now your souls for the kingdom to come. No turning back. We're almost home. Is there anybody else wanting to be there like I'm wanting to be there this morning? Is anybody else knowing that I can continue and remain and serve and give my life? Why? Because one day... My rest is coming. And Paul said, I will stay. I will serve. I will love. I will give. I will fight. I will, I, will, I will preach the gospel. Because one day when it's all over, I'm going home. Can you say that this morning? I mean, can you say that with the absolute confidence that the Apostle Paul said it? When I die, I'm going to heaven. For some people, it's the most terrifying thought there is to have. Outside of public speaking, death is the second thing people fear the most. And it's true. But friend, I'm standing here today and I tell you, it's not like I want to die. It's not like I'm looking for the next exit ramp off of life. It's not like I don't love my wife and my family and the church that God's given me. That's not the point. If I'm here, I'm going to serve God. If I'm here, I'm going to preach the gospel. Hey, come on. If I'm here, I'm going to stay with my wife. If I'm here, I'm going to raise my kids. If I'm here, I'm going to share the gospel. If I'm here, I'm going to keep my life right. If I'm here, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. But if I go, it's going to be far better. Number one, I remain and continue because my rest is yet to come. Number two, I remain and continue because I want to honor Christ with my life. Look at verse number 20. He says this, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, I want you to mark this phrase down, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Study it sometime. Study Paul's theology of shame. Study the fact that in Christ, before the throne, there is no shame because Christ has forgiven us of our sins. Study also how Paul talks about shame as a motivation. I don't want to preach to others and then be ashamed of disappearing. Here he says, I am here and I don't want to be ashamed. And then he goes on to say, I don't want to be ashamed, but rather I want Christ to be, watch this, magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. If you're going to live, friend, and you're a Christian, there's only one way to live this life. To not shame the name of Jesus and that when others see my life, it puts a magnifying glass on who Jesus is. Uh, think about this. Last night at Pastor's house, I stepped out uh, to the street on our way home, and I, it's been a long time since I could stare up into the open sky with very little lights. I live in the city. I live in the inner city. Our church is in the inner city. And there's very few moments, even at the beach, where there's all kinds of commercialization, there's just very few moments where you can just see stars. When we looked up in that star-studded sky last night, and I was once again overwhelmed with how beautiful creation can be. Well, you're looking at stars that can be so far away, barely visible to the human eye, yet could be, in all reality, more brilliant 
and beautiful than our own sun. But they're distant. And so what needs to happen for those stars to be brought into scope? Well, you have a telescope. A long-distance magnifying glass that takes something very small and makes it look very big. This is exactly what Paul said is true of the Christian life. The Christian life is a magnifying glass. When others see you, they may not even know God. They may not know the name of God. They have maybe never read a page of the Bible in their lives. But through your life, the name and the person of Jesus can look really big through you if you choose. It is possible to live this life and draw attention to yourself or draw attention to shame, as Paul spoke against. But he said, there is a way, as a Christian, to live your life so that Jesus Christ can look big to the world. How's he looking at home? How's he looking on social media? How's he looking at the workplace? Are people seeing Christ in our lives and in our body. Later in verse 27, he says, only let your manner of life or your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only let what you do be worthy of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. I read a story recently of a group of businessmen that were very, very rushed in their return home from an international business trip. They were in a foreign country on their way back to the States. These men jumped out of their uh, car that they had rented to get to the airport, pushing the limits on checking in. They grabbed their suitcases and ran through to check in and get through security. On the way, there was a little girl just outside of the terminal, and she was selling apples. She was blind. She was obviously poor. And evidently, the only money she ever brought in for her family was whatever apples she could sell at the airport. These businessmen and all their busyness were so rushed to get to where they were going that one of the men's uh, carry-on baggage accidentally bumped the basket of apples and the apples spilled out all over the sidewalk and into the street. The men were so rushed and so busy that they continued to go. They got through security, they got to their terminal, they got to their gate, and one of the businessmen with the rest of the group was a Christian. And ever since that basket of apples got bumped, he was under such conviction that because he was so busy, he didn't stop and take the time to help the girl get her basket of apples back into her basket. And so he looked at his men and he said, I, I can't go with you guys. He said, I'll catch the next plane. They didn't know why, but he stopped, turned around, left the terminal, left the gate, went back outside and found the girl still blind, trying to wrestle and find as many apples as she could in this basket that had been knocked over crying, knowing that whatever money she could have made was not going to be made that day. So the man dropped this bag and got down on his knees in his business suit and began to scoop up as many apples as he could find. He counted every apple that was bruised and damaged and paid the girl extra for the apples that he knocked over and then bought a few more apples for himself along the way. Drying her tears, the girl said to the man, Sir, are you Jesus? Now, you got to wonder, when is the last time somebody looked at our marriage, looked at our life, 
watched us carefully and thought to themselves, man, they are unique. I'm not talking about weird. I'm not talking about odd. I'm talking about different. I'm talking about in love with Christ. I'm talking about magnifying him with what we do. Being a light as Christ called us to be in Matthew chapter 5. Being salt like Christ called us to be in the same passage. I'm talking about resonating the person of Jesus in and through our lives. Folks, listen, Christianity is not a Sunday morning sport. I know it seems sometimes like we think, yeah, I go to church, friend. There's a lot of people that went to church. I'm sure Judas showed up every Sunday. Going to church has nothing to do with what it means to be an authentic believer. Oh, it sure helps, and it's awesome, and we should go. But if we think that what it means to be a Christian is confined to the hour and 30 minutes we tip our hats to God once a week, we are missing the boat. Christ is to be our life, and he is to be magnified through everything we do in this life. Number three, I will remain and continue because others matter. I will remain and continue because others matter. Notice verse number 24. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Verse 22, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Literally, this is more labor, or excuse me, more fruit for my labor. Meaning, if I stay, if I don't go to heaven, if now is not my time, and Paul fully believed that it was not his time, Then he said, if I go, I'm going to be with Christ. But if I stay, I'm staying here for you. Although his heart longed for heaven, there was a second pull on Paul's heart. So much so that it talks about how it pressed him. He felt stuck. He wasn't sure what to do. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to somebody who's worldly. That doesn't make a lot of sense for somebody who's spending their whole entire life and the only goal of their life is to make money and have more stuff. That doesn't make sense for somebody whose life is completely captivated by sin, but somebody who has never given a thought to maybe something like given to missions so the whole world can hear the gospel. Or fostering a child because the family's falling apart. Or open up their home to their neighbors because they don't know Jesus. Guys, we're pretty selfish. I mean... In our lifetime, we invented the word selfie. That's not great. We take pictures of ourselves. We promote ourselves. Frankly, quite honestly, we live for ourselves. You want to know what Paul's highlighted in this life? Two, uh, this text, two things. Number one, you need people. Paul is talking about how that when he comes to them, they will be benefited, they will grow, they will learn, they will be blessed. Then not only do do, do you need people, but people need you. In the same way that Paul was an incredible blessing to them, they were an incredible blessing to Paul. In fact, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, they had been in fellowship with him in the gospel from the very beginning. Over in chapter number 4 and uh, verse number 15, he talks about how that they gave to him. They ministered to him. You need people and people need you. I've learned this lesson over the last several weeks as I've been away from my church and kind of retooling and refueling. And sometimes even in ministry, I've got, I got to be honest with you, sometimes in ministry, it's very easy to isolate yourselves from people. 
Because people hurt. People are prickly. People are difficult. People's faithfulness wanes. People's relationships come and go. And if you're not careful, sometimes you can isolate yourselves and forget about the fact that, you know what? It doesn't matter how people respond. It doesn't matter what people do. I need people, and people need me. You say, well, yeah, I get that, preacher. I understand that we get that. I understand that we, that we, we recognize that, that to love God is the first and greatest commandment, and to love your neighbors yourself is the second greatest commandment. But let me ask you this pointed question this morning. How's that going for you right now? It would not take you very long to assess whether your life is about others. How about this? Just go back and pull up your bank account for the last month. What in your bank account over the last 30 days screams from the ledger, I care about people? How about the calendar? You might be old school and have a written calendar. You might be new school and have a Google calendar or whatever in between. Here's the bottom line. What on your calendar over the last 30 days has screamed out from the pages or from the screen, see, my life is about other people. It's about witnessing to other people. It's about caring for other people. It's about loving on people. It's about serving people. It's about ministering to people. What in your life says amen to you saying my life is about people? As you well know, your pastor travels some. I travel a good bit as well. Traveling can be amazing. It can be, for the most part, fairly frustrating, especially recently. Recently, with a shortage of people and uh, a shortage of uh, uh, connecting flights and all those things that have multiplied since COVID, travel's been a, a bit funky. Last week, over in London, a thousand people got stranded on a particular airline and while the airline Delta scrambled feverishly to rebook people and ultimately got all 1,000 customers back to the United States of America, what didn't get back was their luggage. 1,000 pieces of luggage stuck in London while the rest of the people were back in the good old U.S. of A. But Delta did something that I admired. Instead of trying to work around, they did something that I had not quite heard of before this time. There was a flight that was leaving London through the night to get back to Detroit, but the flight was not scheduled to have any passengers on board. Simply, they were bringing the plane back from London to Detroit in the middle of the night, and the CEO of Delta decided instead of loading passengers on the plane, they put one thousand bags in the plane instead of passengers to get them back to Detroit and then transported on their own nickel every piece of luggage back to its original owner and not one piece was ultimately lost. Here's the sad reality. I would rather be a lost piece of luggage with Delta than a neighbor to the average Christian in the United States of America. I'd rather be a bag of dirty underwear on the plane to Detroit than live next door to the average church in this country. Because at least Delta cares more about lost luggage than the average church cares about lost people. 
And it's not just lost people. It's people that have lost their way. What about rescue the perishing? What about care for the dying? What about reaching out for people that have missed church? What about life's not about me and my latte from Dutch Brothers on the way to church? What if life was actually about looking around me and caring that somebody else is weeping and crying and in need or somebody else has missed or somebody else has kids that are unruly and yet instead of me kind of judging them and looking down upon them, I actually go to them and try to help them and try to minister them. I'm talking about having a change of culture. I'm talking about having a change of mindset. I'm talking about living our life for other people. Finally, we see in our text, I remain and continue because the work is never done. Look, if you will, please, at verse number 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance and joy of faith. I'm interested in that one word in this verse, furtherance. Look back at verse number 12, if you will. But, but I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have uh, happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the what? Furtherance. So the gospel, it's obviously the same word. It's the same word in English, and it's the same word in Greek. In verse number 12, it is talking about the furtherance of the gospel in the sense that the gospel has reached more people than it had before. But in verse number 25, it's talking about not the gospel going to more people. Watch this. But the gospel going further in your life. Did you know that becoming a Christian was not just about praying a prayer 25 years ago? Did you know actually that that moment that you entered into a relationship with God was just the starting line, not the finish line? Did you know when you prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior, what a day, come on, what a great day, what a glory, hey, a day where everything changed, a day where your eternity was forever relocated from hell to heaven, a day where you uh, were a prisoner, but then you were set free. I'm talking a day uh, where you sat in darkness and all of a sudden the lights came on. I'm talking about a day where you became a child of God. That was an amazing day, wasn't it? But that was just the beginning. Paul said, if I stay, it's going to be so that your faith can further. Paul says, or Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul says in the same book, back in verse number 6 of the same chapter, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all the Bibles in the book of Acts chapter number one when Luke starts the book and he said the former thing that I wrote to you Theophilus of all that Jesus began to do and to teach I got saved three months before uh, I went to Bible college 1997 I'm telling you it was crazy I was 19 years old I became a believer on May 25th 1997 and I'm telling you I was a I was straight unsaved like, I was for real unsaved. It wasn't like I went to Sunday school and, like, I got saved when I was five and, like, Patchy Pirate was my second cousin. And, and I just, like, got to 19 and I started worrying about it and then I got saved again. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I was for real unsaved. 
So, man, when I got saved, I'm telling you, God changed my life. I am telling you, he changed my life. And things started, my world started changing. And, and I, I felt compelled to preach the gospel. I was in Bible college three months later. I got saved in May. I stepped on Bible college camp, campus in August 1997. Never been to Bible college. Never took a Bible class. Never saw a rule book like that in my life. I thought, I thought Job was Job. I thought Habakkuk was a Hebrew cuss word. I'm not kidding. I was, I was a little offended when they said it in chapel the first time. I'm like, whoa, what is that? that, that. I didn't know anything. Knew nothing. So I sat in New Testament survey my first semester. I got to the book of Acts, and the teacher read that verse. He said, this is the beginning. I, I wrote to you the first time. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Now he's wrote the book of Acts. And he said, the first one I wrote the book of Luke was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. What do you think that means? And I'm talking redneck, West Virginia, no Bible background. I slipped my hand up as fast as I could get up. Back row, last, netter, uh, last name starts with S, so I was sitting in the back. I shot my hand up. He looked down at the seating chart and said, yes, Mr. Sams. I said, it means he ain't done yet. And he looked at me and said, that's exactly right. And I'm here to tell you this morning, he ain't done yet he ain't done with you he ain't done with your marriage come on he ain't done with your kids yeah look look your 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 financial situation right now that he he doesn't have to necessarily be done with that he doesn't have to be done with where you are come on and i want to say this for sure he's sure not done with this church Oh, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. And aren't you glad that God doesn't leave you where he found you and that God never gives up on you and that God never leaves you where he started with you, but he's always working on you and it will not be completed until we all get to heaven together. Man, this weekend historically has been quite a weekend. In 1940. Five, I believe it was, the first nuclear bomb was tested just over here in New Mexico. What a change to the world. Exactly 50 years later, excuse me, 45 years later, another bomb went off, but it wasn't a nuclear bomb. It was a bomb called Amazon. How many of you are Amazon Prime members? Would you lift your hand with me? That is extraordinary. It was named Amazon by Jeff Bezos, the founder, after somebody mispronounced the original name, which was Kadabra. But he named it ultimately Amazon because just like the river in South America, he wanted very little boundaries to what he would accomplish. Amazon. And in 1995, it opened as an online bookstore. And Jeff Bezos set out to be the largest bookstore in the world and to change e commerce. And boy, did he ever have a vision of how the internet would literally transform the world. 
that you could have groceries from Whole Foods in two hours and never leave your couch. Somebody say amen. <laughs> 1995. Since then. They have, in fact, four years later, within four years, they had shipped 20 million items to 150 com uh, countries. Since then, Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime Video, Amazon Kindle, the Kindle e-reader, Kindle Books, Kindle Direct Publishing. They acquired Zappos and Whole Foods, and now there's Amazon Pharmacy, Amazon Grocery, Amazon Basics, where they're making stuff like batteries, Amazon Echo, Amazon Alexis, Amazon Photos. I spend more money on Amazon than I do on my mortgage. That's a joke. You know what's amazing about Amazon? It just, it just like keeps getting better and better. And what it was in inception was phenomenal. It really was. But what it is now is even better for the consumer. But do you think Amazon's done yet? Do you not think they're going to acquire more companies and continue to provide life-altering service to the world? It is extraordinary, like the company or not. And I am here to tell you that it may not have been 1995. For me, it was 1997. But in 1997, a nuclear bomb called Jesus went off in my heart, and it rearranged everything. And when all the dust settled and the bomb smoke was clear, I was a brand new person only to turn around and look and say that there was a Bible in my lap. Come on. And there was a Holy Spirit in my heart, and there was a world out there to reach. And the moment of my salvation was just that, a moment that led to a lifetime of transformation. Aren't you glad that God's not done with you yet? That the best days of your Christian life can be just ahead and around the corner. Let's bow our heads for prayer.